سعيدا كن فريدا عش بفخر في الحياة لا تبالي فالمعالي بالتحدي لا سوى كن سعيدا كن فريدا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to yet another session of Talking Sense with Alia. I'm Alia Khan, the CEO of the Islamic Kids Store. And you still, if you haven't known about our website, you could visit our captions, which will be showing in below. Visit our website, www.islamicketstore.com. We are a women-based entrepreneurship initiative based in India. And uh, Alhamdulillah, we have metamorphosed from just being a dealership store to a wholesale one. And finally, launching our own brand. Uh, Alhamdulillah, we have received uh, several accolades, both in India and abroad, including the Super Brand of India, Business Icon of India, as well as at SIB Awards UK. So this is just a small introduction of who we are. Now let's hop over to see. And I'm so, so excited today as we have a wonderful person on board. As I assured you at Talking Sense of, with Alia, we're going to have amazing Muslim personalities from all over the world. Last time, all of you had a wonderful time with Brother Kamal Ali. And I know I had uh, entrepreneurs messaging me out later on saying that they were so thankful that that event helped them learn so much and benefit more. And taking that legacy ahead, we have today in our second episode, Ms. Ruha Shada. She's the founder of Ledby. She's also a graduate of Harvard University, where she received her master's in public policy. On graduation, she was awarded the Howard Kennedy School Women's Leadership Award, the first Indian to receive it. Uh, ju just a minute, I just got a message that uh, the Instagram message uh, broadcast has issues. Okay, I've sorted it out. Thank you. Sorry for the disturbance. We are actually trying the Instagram live for the first time. So if there are issues, mistakes, let's ignore. But let's hope it works on because a lot of people on Instagram said that they, you know, couldn't uh, view it properly on YouTube. So uh, you could log in on Instagram and see us live as well. So continuing with Ruha, during her master's, she served as the co-chair at the Indian conference at Harvard, worked at Yale University as first author for a medical ethic paper, and interned at the Gates Foundation on Global Health Strategy Framework. Prior to Harvard, she worked at the Government of India's policy think tank, Niti Aayog, chaired by the Prime Minister. There she was part of the rollout of the world's largest government health insurance scheme. She has also worked with International Health NGO, the Clinton Health Research Initiative, where she prepared the ground for public health interventions for maternal and child health. Wow. You know, I mean, this I was so impressive, you know, an ideal bio which every Muslim woman would aim to have. And it makes me feel so happy that I have this, such an esteemed guest with us today. So, uh, Salam Sruha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Walaikum Assalam. Yeah, Ruha, before we actually start talking with Ruha, and I'm sure all of you are looking forward to it, let's go in and check out a small video about who Ruha is and what she's doing exactly. Assalamu alaikum. I am Dr. Ruha Shadab, and I'm here to talk to you about the Zedby Foundation. We are India's first incubator for Muslim women. We were formed at Harvard University. And like you, we believe that there is a lot of potential in this community of 10 crore individuals. 
to support this, we, at the Ledby Foundation, run an intensive co-curricular summer fellowship program meant for college-going Indian Muslim women. This program provides them access to industry experts and mentors, provides them training in leadership skills to set them up for success in their professional career, and also gives them an ecosystem or a tribe of like-minded women. The idea is to help them succeed in their career goals so that they can eventually give back to their community and to their country. To learn more, join us on www.redby.org. Wow, that is great. We are first incubator for Muslim women, and Ruha Shadab is at the spearhead of it, leading it. So um, uh, talking to you, Ruha, I just wanted to ask you, like um, we know a little bit, I mean, uh, recently led by is coming up with these wonderful initiatives, the sheep printers, and the social media presence is immense. And I think a lot of people now are aware of the kind of work you are doing. But still, uh, for those who do not know about you, tell me something about yourself and how did you actually come across this idea of launching Let By? Sure. So I am a doctor by training and I did practice clinical medicine, but I was always very interested by what we call the social determinants of health. So being able to access healthcare or even the need to access to healthcare is more than just one falling sick. It has so much to do with what your income background is, where do you stay, or what's your gender. And I'm very interested by all of these other things, these systemic issues of healthcare. So as I slowly gravitated towards a more interdisciplinary approach, I also wondered what does it mean to be able to provide healthcare access? Does healthcare access really lead to a sense of agency, a sense of independence and freedom? And I noticed that to be able to create that sort of agency, there's more targeted approaches that need to be taken beyond providing healthcare access. And that is where the role of economic empowerment, the role of financial independence comes into place. All of this was central to my thought process of supporting Muslim women and why I care about Muslim women as I am an Indian Muslim woman. It is my lived reality and I know what extra challenges we face both from within and outside of the community so being my own lived experiences and coming from the kind of exposure that I got through medicine through working in public health and then eventually studying public policy is how I was able to articulate the social impact that I want to create for Muslim women through the lens of economic empowerment. The, the, that's That's wonderful and that is Really, what you talked about, financial independence is so much relevant and uh, so much required for the development, whether of women or any strata of societies. If you want to empower someone, it's very, very important to get financial independence. So I get you here, but uh, you have been working on this led by and it's a wonderful initiative. Uh, tell me what are the few causes that you identified that are restricting Muslim women to actually start growing professionally? So Muslim women, us Muslim women, have the aptitude. We have the aspiration. What's really missing is being able to access opportunities, have the kind of agency to make or have a more self-deterministic approach. And there's several reasons, both internal and external. 
but I want to talk about things that we have quantitative evidence for. One of the things that I did over the past year is we conducted a research. So we knew anecdotally that Muslim, Muslim women in India face challenges or face stereotypes. For example, so many of us, when we go looking for houses for rent, will be said no because of us being Muslims. We knew the kind of conversations that happen in rooms where we are not in. Leaders who are non-Muslims, we know what stereotypes and biases. And this is not to say these are ill-intentioned or these are explicit. These can also be biases that people have because they haven't been exposed. There hasn't been enough intermingling in professional spaces to be able to tackle these biases and stereotypes. So we knew about this, we'd heard about this, but there wasn't any evidence. So we wanted to run an experiment. And what we did was we applied to 1000 jobs in India for early career people by creating two resumes. One was Priyanka Sharma's resume and one was Habiba Ali's resume. These were identical resumes. We applied to a thousand jobs. So that means 2000 applications over 10 months. And we saw for the exact same resume in India for these early career roles, Priyanka got 100% more job callbacks than Habiba. Now, why did this happen? There can be several reasons for it. But now we know that these issues happen. This is just one of the several bottlenecks that Muslim women face when they are when they even get into the job market. And here, Alia, is that, of course, there are some issues that are common to all women, right? Jobs need to be there in the economy. If jobs in the economy, then it's an issue for everybody. And India does have a low female labor force participation rate. But even if these jobs are accessible, or sorry, even if these jobs are available, are they equally accessible to Hindu and Muslim women? The research says that they are not. And again, like I mentioned, these are one of the several challenges that are facing Muslim women that we want to address by creating a platform which brings together Muslim women, non-Muslim women, men, all the different stakeholders in India to be able to address this issue. Because honestly, this is an issue that concerns every single Indian. Now that makes so sense. Uh, and every woman, irrespective of what religion she belongs to, has a right to get equal opportunities for, uh, you know, jobs or education or whatsoever. And uh, this makes so much sense. I mean, uh, you're running out this whole effort and identifying what was the cause was really, really wonderful. And I think all these research-based initiatives should be publicized more on social media platforms so that the masses are aware about what the situation is, what the causes is, and uh, help a woman, especially the vulnerable Muslim woman, to come out of the stereotypes in which she's categorized in. Now, I also would like to know is what initiatives is led by undertaking, you know, at, uh, led, uh, at, your, at your foundation to actually help Muslim women empower themselves? What are the initiatives you guys are doing? There are three things that we do at Led By. Number one is we conduct quantitative research to be able to identify barriers. Because without hardcore data, it is difficult to start conversations with other stakeholders. It's also difficult to measure success. The goal would be in 5, 10, 15 years to redo this resume study that I just mentioned. 
and to see that Priyanka and Habiba actually got the same number of callbacks after all the work that we've done. So number one is research. Number two is we work with Muslim women and provide them job readiness training. This job readiness training takes the form of live classes that happen over four to 12 months through fully funded fellowships where we provide Muslim women with experts from leading management consulting, consulting agencies such as McKinsey, Bain, BCG. They have professors who are affiliated to universities such as Harvard and MIT and Columbia come and teach them storytelling, negotiations, problem solving. And all of this is then supplanted by a network of over 150 women executives from across regions, religions, and countries who mentor these girls. The other thing I want to add in this job readiness training is, I mentioned our fellowships are fully funded, right? But there is a price that we ask. The price that we ask for the young college-going Muslim women or early career Muslim women that we are training is to pay it forward. So every led by fellow, she is by default an Indian Muslim woman. By virtue of being a led by fellow, also then serves as a mentor herself to middle school or high school girls. And we're again intentional about the kind of middle school and high school girls that they're supporting. And we make sure that one is Muslim and one is non-Muslim. Because the goal is for her to feel as a mentor herself and see what it takes to mentor children. We want to pay it forward and start supporting middle school and high school girls also to think about their long-term impact and also be able to talk about, for example, we see there's a high dropout rate of those between 10th class and 11th class. So to be able to think all of that through. And the third is even just the idea of a, of a young non-Muslim child looking up to a Muslim didi or a Muslim apa as a role model or a guide is a way to build bridges between communities. So that's how we're working with individuals. We're providing them training and they themselves go and pay it forward as coaches and mentees. And then the third part is we also work with companies and I think this has been one of my, one of the things that adds a lot of positivity to the work that we do is that the number of companies that are interested in talking about what Muslim inclusion looks like in their own setup is quite substantial. So we work with these countries to have, uh, sorry, with these companies to have conversations about what is your Muslim inclusion looking like? How many Muslims do you have? What can you do to make this a more inclusive space for people from across religion. Simple things like usually places will have temples um, or will have events only for Diwali. Having a multi-faith prayer room, which can serve as a meditation room, can serve as a common hall for different religions to express and to practice. Could be one example that office spaces can take or having Eid lunches as well as one place, one way of making things more inclusive. So we work with companies to do a diagnostics on what does religious inclusion look like and what can they do more. So in summary, there are three things that we do. We do quantitative research to be able to identify bottlenecks to Muslim women's employment. We work with Muslim women to increase their job readiness and with a paid forward mechanism. And the third is we work with companies to understand what Muslim inclusion looks like and how they can further support and promote that. That that's amazing and uh, that's wonderful. Uh, and uh, is there any way, uh, Ruha, you are inviting external people who would like to support you on these initiatives 
what kind of support are you getting in from the uh, Muslim professionals or uh, any other profession who would like to support this community? So how do you invite external people to come in and support you on this? So there are three ways that we engage with external people. One is our board of advisors and presidents. So we have over 150 women executives who serve as coaches for our fellows. So these people are from different industries. And what we do over here is we facilitate one hour office hours. So basically, every Indian Muslim woman who is our fellow, so basically a college going or an early career Muslim woman, will have up to six hours of one-on-ones. So she can reach out to people really senior in almost any industry that she's interested in and talk to them and gain insight from them. So who she is reaching out to, that group of 150 advisors and residents can be women from anywhere, provided they have the relevant experience and provided they're from an industry that we want representation from. So that's one way. The second way is through facilitators. So we have a lot of professionals who come and we work together to create modules and curriculum to teach our fellows and to teach our accelerator participants, which are the two major programs that we have for Muslim women. So the second is to be a facilitator. And then the third is we also have special projects for which we have volunteers. And our volunteers, mind you, are just phenomenal people. We have around um, 350 people on LinkedIn who show that by as one of their workplaces. And I can tell you that anybody who has gone through a full volunteer project or a full internship project from that by is just an absolutely spectacular person. So we have a lot of people coming on special projects. Special projects could be things like helping us kickstart something new, for example, a podcast, or helping us develop a particular module section of our programs, or to conduct data analysis, because we're also very, we take a lot of surveys and a lot of feedback from our fellows to be able to inform progress and to improve our programming. There's usually a lot of data that we have to do analysis for. So those are the three ways. You have advisors and residents, which is for women executives, facilitators for professionals or coaches who can come and then develop those modules. And then third is volunteers and internships for special projects that we have. Okay, that's good. So, I mean, we, we did have a, a few customers asking us out that if they would like to support this initiative, how would they do? And I think they've got an answer. We will be sharing this link on our social media channels as our newsletters and our WhatsApp groups. So all those who are watching this later can uh, surely uh, benefit from it. Now coming to uh, uh, this, you uh, also uh, would believe that um, we, we do have uh, external issues with, uh, you know, um, with the Muslim women in getting economic uh, in jobs or any kind of opportunities um, in any country. But apart from that, what are the issues within us? Like a lot of people may perceive a Muslim woman uh, growing professionally, even within our own community, as something which goes against their religion or something which goes against their being Muslim or the Islamic ruling. So uh, how do you think, uh, you know, what do you feel about this issue? I think that if women are interested in getting a job to be able to be productive citizens, to be able to support the household income, they should be provided a platform to do that. We should not, external limitations should not be the reason 
and i really truly think for so many of us it is these external limitations it is not an intrinsic limitation the number of people that i've spoken to who want to work but cannot access that or do not know how to be able to convert those opportunities into jobs is tremendous and that is the group that we are working with is people who who want to do it but do not know how to do it or do not have access and solving that issue itself is incredibly challenging and that's where we focus on all, all our energies on okay that 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 makes sense and uh, also uh, you know for this we had recently um uh, yes as you said that it is mainly an ex- external factor an intrinsic factor especially in today's times it is uh, quite limited as people are being aware and um, this i also would like to stress upon here is uh, you know we uh, recently had put up an uh, youtube short also about how muslim women uh, being uh, growing professionally is not a new phenomena and it definitely doesn't go against islamic ruling like you had samra bint nahaik who was appointed but by hazrat umar azatala and who during his time as a market inspector a, a lot of people know hazrat umar azatala and who was very strict uh, strictly adhering to islamic rulings but he appointed a muslim woman as a market inspector and she uh, she she wore hijab and everything but she uh, she would have a whip in her hand and she would uh, teach people to do good and forbid bad like a ma- inspector is a police is and then uh, you had the granddaughter of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam nafisa bint al hasan who taught imam shafi and imam hanfi you know we all know the two muslim main sects come from the shafi and the uh, uh, hamli and hanfi mazhab even like in india we follow the hanfi madhab externally in arab countries we have the shafi both these scholars have learned under nafisa bint al hasan uh, obviously they had many other scholars but she was one of them then rufaida al aslamia and she was the one of the first uh, islamic nurses prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam appointed her to teach other women to nurse the wounded to take care of the sick people and so i mean this is one thing i feel that when you are growing professionally it's definitely not going against any islamic ruling because in fact i feel our thinking towards this is is gone low right now because if you see in current times you won't find any islamic scholar who may have read under a female islamic scholar though it was prevalent in that times so definitely uh it's not a you know that guilt factor which remains with certain individuals that you growing professionally is going against your islamic ruling definitely doesn't exist and uh, i know people who know this are very small section right now but uh, still for those small section this is what you would like to say now uh, let's move on to our next round that is the blistering question rounds around it which will have some quick questions and some rapid answers from uh, saruha Let's do it. Right. I was like, is why when how the question right now? <laughs> no, no, don't worry. They won't be any scary. They'll be fun, and there is nothing much to look into it. Now, uh, first question which I would like to ask to you, Ruha, is who do you think has easier in life? whether man or woman which gender and why oh 
it's hard to make it binary for different things either of them have it easier so i think women have it harder for a number of things i think we need to be able to fight and overcome challenges to be able to grow professionally for example and some of those burdens are harder i similarly think gendered norms also impact men for example um, to be able to express their emotions right they need to keep it bottled in inside of themselves because society expects them to do that and that's probably conditioning that actually makes does make things harder so i think depending on what you're judging either people for both have them hard because norms and stereotypes affect both of them to different extents that that makes sense this is because i also would like to say uh, sometimes we go an extreme in feminism and we do not realize that it is the men also who certain at times in certain issues may face up kind of issues and that answer really makes sense second is what quality in yourself do you think uh, every uh, you know which you feel happy or proud of and you think that other muslim women should imbibe that quality of yours what quality in you do you think uh, i would say grit and resilience but i i don't i think this is already present in a lot <laughs> to a very large extent in the muslim women that i've spoken that grit and resilience in them is is really there um and so is perseverance and all those traits have helped me chase my unconventional dream and career progression that that is amazing seriously great and this many a times muslim women do have but they do not uh, actually identify or realize they do have it uh, the third question and the last question i would like to ask you is if you were made the prime minister of the country for a day what policies would you introduce to empower the indian muslim women Wow, nobody has actually asked me that question. I've never pictured myself <laughs> as the prime minister of India. Um, one of the one of the things that I would like to do, again, focusing on Indian Muslim women, because I think one of the policies that we should really think about is climate change, that I'm also very passionate about, and I think humanity has a big has a lot to do on that front. But just for Indian Muslim women, uh, thinking off the top of my head. we have something called gendered budgeting which is basically looking at all policies from a gendered lens and making sure that women stakeholders are also benefiting from policies appropriately and these policies don't have negative externalities towards them i would want to bring in the intersectionality of women within gendered budgeting and the reason i say that is because we are such a significant proportion of the country and we have specific needs until and unless those specific needs or the root causes of challenges is not addressed we will not be able to meaningfully move the needle on education and employment indicators for india as a whole so to be able to bring in a muslim women subsection within gendered budgeting would be one of my first things and that would impact policies across the board that is so good and i hope ruha someday we have a prime minister like you so that we do have some really good policies also coming in on board and that also reminds me that we should have uh, muslim uh, women in these uh, kind of leadership roles whether it's politics or whether it is we have restricted our career choices 
to medicine, engineering, or professionalism. We need women in politics. We need women in leadership roles, and that's when you could see some change in the community. All right. With uh, that said, let's hop over to the next section. Yes, you want to say something, Ruha? Yeah, I wanted to give a shout out or a plug to a social enterprise called Indian School for Democracy. And they're doing exactly what you mentioned, Adya. They are trying to get and prepare grassroots leaders for political roles. And they're party agnostic, ideology agnostic, and are doing an absolutely fantastic job. So I would highly encourage the Muslim, especially Muslim women who are listening to this, to check out on Instagram, Indian School for Democracy, and see what their programs provide. It's an excellent platform for people who also just want to figure out what entering politics would mean. And it can really help change the course of the kind of democracy that we live in in other 10 years. So do, do look that up if you're interested. That's so good. So we have a shout out here. Everybody uh, go in and check out this platform. And I'm sure if you don't, uh, if you have this confidence and you have this enthusiasm to go ahead in politics, let's not limit yourself. Go ahead and do it. With that said, we hop over into the uh, next section. Let's check this over. Uh, before I go into this, I'll just put up a disclaimer. The next section is a role play. Uh, but see, I am not an actress. And, and, and this is not a, a section where uh, we have to display acting skills. This is supposed to be an informative session where we would want to educate the people about the stereotypes and about the difficult questions which a person can face. And sometimes it's not always about the thing you're do doing. It's about the criticism you get and how you deal with it. So in this section, kindly do not go in with my acting skills or with my uh, opinions, but deal it as an informative section to, uh, and this is not, uh, these thoughts are views are not of the host. And we'll be putting that disclaimer over there before you feel what's gone wrong with Alia. But these are some kind of, Opinions which people may have, and it's necessary for us to reach to every segment of the society if we need to benefit them. With that said, let's go to the next section. Assalamu alaikum, Ruha. Are you there? Yes. Oh, um, first of all, thank you for the Islamic Kids Tour that they called me. 
एंड मुझे एक प्लेटफॉर्म दिया कि मैं अपनी दिल की बात कह सकू और क्योंकि ज्यादातर कैसे हो कि आज के जमाने में सीनियर सिटीजन को इतनी अपॉर्चुनिटी नहीं मिलती तो बट हमारे भी कुछ इश्यूज होते हैं एंड हम चाह रहे हैं अगर यू नो वो डिस्कस हो जाए तो सही बात होगी तो सबसे पहले रूहा बेटा आपकी बहुत अच्छी लगी मुझे जो आप जो काम कर रहे हो बड़ा अच्छा कर रहे हो कि मुस्लिम वुमेन को ग्रो यू नो दे ग्रोइंग प्रोफेशनली एंड दैट इज अ वेरी गुड थिंग एंड इनफैक्ट मैं मेरी खुद भी बहू वर्किंग है एंड मैं आई एम अ वेरी ब्रॉड माइंडेड मदर इन लॉ एंड आई डू अप्रिशिएट दैट बट बेटा कुछ मसले होते हैं जैसे मुझे देखा है आपने भी देखा होगा जैसे मेरा बेटा बाहर जाता था प्रोजेक्ट पे जाता था हमेशा कहता था मम्मा आपके हाथ का स्वाद नहीं है आपके हाथ का स्वाद की बयाद होती है मम्मा खाना पका रही थी मम्मा बच्चा स्कूल से आता था मम्मा खाना पका के दे रही थी बच्चे की एक बॉन्डिंग थी मम्मी से यू नो ऑन फूड और वट एवर बट विद द ग्रोथ ऑफ प्रोफेशनलिज्म वी आर फाइंडिंग स्पेशली हमारे दिल्ली में तो ऐसा हो रहा है कि कुक्स लग गए हैं नैनीज हो गई है तो मम्मी का जो एक रोल है अब मम्मी भी जॉब कर रही है डैडी जी भी जॉब कर रहे हैं तो वो बच्चे का जो एक मम्मी के साथ जो बॉन्डिंग थी इट्स गॉन सो दिस रोल वेर यू फाइंड द ग्रोथ इन मुस्लिम वुमेन प्रोफेशनलिज्म इज डिक्रीजिंग द रोल ऑफ द मदर वट डू यू थिंक अबाउट दिस आई थिंक मोर देन डिक्रीज फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल थैंक यू शुक्रिया फॉर योर काइंड वर्ड्स एंड फॉर ऑल्सो सपोर्टिंग योर आप सही आइडेंटिफाई कर रही है डायनामिक्स and this is not a decreasing role of motherhood this is redefining the role of parenthood that we are working towards and ek mother available hoen ruha i'm i'm just facing some issues here with the network just give me to one minute i'm just disconnecting okay or right. i'll wait for you Okay, so we are back. Uh, can you hear me, Roha? Yes, I can. Okay, let's go. All right. Thank you, um, senior citizen, for the question and also for the appreciation of our work. And I also really appreciate that you have given your daughter 
um, you're supportive of her working and so encouraging, in fact. I've lost her again. I've lost Ali again. I'm going to wait for her to come back. Frank, go ahead. Oh, okay, perfect. Um, so as for just coming to the que to the question that you've posed, right? The way we can look at it is, is not that it is decreasing the role of the mother. It is redefining what parenthood is. Because even when you were talking about, well, Alia was talking about growing professionally and examples from Islamic scriptures about that, we identified that it was a, it's less of an issue of religion and more of an issue of the timing. The timing, the, the environment that we are in right now is set up in a way to constrict some of us from growing professionally, especially, especially women. That being said, right now it's about we are in a moment where we're talking about more and more getting women into the workforce. And this will have an impact. There is no denying that it will cause a change, a positive change in the family dynamics. But there are three things I want to highlight over here. First is, some of us might have traveled in an airplane and we know that when the oxygen mask falls down first, put the mask on yourself before putting it on someone else. And as women, we have always, always put the mask on other people first before we put it on ourselves. Everything from at home, the women eating after the men have eaten, right? Even drinking chai, first chai is served to everyone in fear if there is a moment of fursat, we will sit and drink our own chai. And this leads to just millennia of hypoxia in women that we are trying to address now. So until then, unless you don't put the mask on yourself and you aren't able to, using that as an analogy, to be your full self, you will not be able to be in service of others fully. So it's about being able to let the woman experience and develop herself fully and then be available for other people probably in ways better than she could have in other situations. The second is, it's about quality over quantity. It is, it is about what are the moments that you are spending with your child? How fully present are you in those moments? Are you there for the most important moments? And I see this in um, one of the people that I work with in a very large private company. She, this woman is Harvard educated for multiple degrees. And her mother is a senior executive in an industry. Her mother is a lawyer and was would travel a lot, work very hard, would work seven days a week. And her father used to work slightly less. But she said out of both of her parents, she's actually closer to her mother. Because despite her mother working so much, when her mother would be at home, it would be all about the child. She would be so fully present that those moments that she would spend with the child or spend with this person that I'm talking to you about were extremely meaningful. So it's about again redefining the relationship. It's not about feeding them every meal, but it's about being them, being there with them, developing a bond and being fully present in the moments that you are with them. And the third is going back to the time that we are in and how time is changing and the way we are articulating things are changing. For example, we now refer to husband, wife, spouses, as partners. And what does partner mean? Partner means doing something together, having a shared workload. So being able to now think about raising a child, not as the mother's job or the female partner's job, but a job that both partners do equally 
will still meet so that a child is raised in a loving household has deep meaningful connections with their parents and develop themselves into sincere disciplined meaning productive citizens so i agree there is a shift that is needed but the shift actually is going to be positive because everybody in the situation goes and leads very leads very meaningful holistic lives okay beta that makes sense but then i have i have one more question for you देखो पहले कैसे होता था कि हमारे जो माशरे में हजबेंड्स वर दर अर्निंग देवर द ब्रेड विनर ओके सो हजबैंड की एक रिस्पेक्ट होती थी वाइफ हजबैंड की एक रिस्पेक्ट करते थे बट नाउ विदू नो ग्रोथ मुस्लिम वुमेन ग्रोइंग प्रोफेशनली डोंट यू थिंक दैट लेवल ऑफ रिस्पेक्ट हेज गो ऑन दैट रिस्पेक्ट इज नॉट देर सो that uh, is leading to uh, conflicts between the two genders which can lead to high rise of divorces among people because the woman today who is financially independent will not want to compromise like the ladies of our times who were more compromising because they had no option they are like the husband is earning we have to be under them so uh, don't you feel this is leading to increase in divorces or stuff like that I understand where you're coming from, and in terms of respect, one can see it not as res- the woman respecting the man less. It's about the woman also getting respect. Going back to the term of partners, we are now looking at marriages not as the woman being under the man. No, no human being should be under another human being. Slavery is abolished. and the slavery mentality between a man and a woman between inside of marriage should also be abolished and one of the ways to elevate both it's not about bringing the man down it's about taking the woman up through her own income and making them equally respectful of each other and that being equally respectful of each other sometimes in negative situations can manifest as too much friction if the man is unable to respect the women is unable to see the woman as an equal and vice versa so that's what we need to do we need to think of this as seeing not the bringing down of the man but elevating of the women in terms of respect as well which one of the ways of getting that is by earning their own income and being financially independent as for what impact does this have in terms of marriages and the outputs of marriages is is something we should also talk about women and men should be able to communicate more clearly if they are now communicating and realizing they're not a match for each other then i guess maybe in the long term this can have this can have a negative outcome but there are ways of expressing communicating growing together that can ameliorate the divorce rates that you're talking about but i want to focus more on what does this mean in terms of respect and it's not about one being under the other it's about both seeing each other as equals and then definitely having the kind of communication that both of them can overcome obstacles together okay beta uh, thanks for the session and was really enlightening and uh, i hope uh, the category of citizens like me who hear this out uh, will benefit uh thanks ruha with that uh, we move on to the next session and we'll have a small video 
of one of our products. Just have a look at it. So that was a closer look at my first debut novel, that is Sarah's Journey. And for those who do not know, Alhamdulillah, within just a few months of its launch, it is already a sold out. And that is one of this book which is very close to me because um, actually uh, as a Muslim teenager in India, you don't, uh, uh, you don't experience those words or those beautiful raspberries or strawberries or those hiking adventures like a conventional, uh, you know, a foreign authored product will show the life of a teenager. We deal with the different circumstances and uh, at times, especially a Muslim woman feels a dilemma to actually relate her personal life as well as, you know, her dean trying to balance it out, a community different at home and a completely different community outside. And this leads to a lot of issues within. And this book just does that. We are talking about sibling rivalry. We are talking about teenage infatuations. We are talking about um, attempt to abuse. We are talking about um, uh, peer pressure and a lot more modern issues, which as a community, which you should not shy from. Because uh, the, uh, during the time of Muslim era, they did not shy away. The women did not shy away from discussing it. And that's what we have done with this novel. Highlighted references from the Quran and the Sunnah, where a Muslim, uh, average Muslim can educate themselves and see that where our, uh, our deen stands in dealing with these modern day issues. And let's not shy away from them. That's what we are doing that. So go in and have a look. Uh, we, uh, it, it's uh, actually, we just had think one or two copies left. The uh, new stock will be um, coming in a month or so. And it's part two will be released, inshallah, in April. A lot of you have been asking about the part two. It will be released in three, four months time. That was a small thing about this product because we are talking about women and we're talking about women issues. So Sarah's novel definitely deserves a mention here. Now coming up to you, Ruha, I also wanted to know you are here and the Islamic Kids show viewers will be watching you shortly on our different social media platform as well as our YouTube viewers. We want to know from you what word of advice would you like to give to the Muslim women, you know, uh, how can they grow professionally? A couple of things. I think the first thing is to be proactive and take initiative. So we have aspirations. Uh, we have the aptitude and the intellect. 
but it's about being able to translate that into action. Now, what does taking initiative mean? It's, it's easy to say, ki, haan, take action. What action? I think one of the things that we could do is try to find our tribe of Muslim women. Like, Arya, when you were talking about the book, you spoke about how I loved your analogy about, you know, we haven't tasted raspberries and blueberries and we don't go on hikes over the weekends in India. Um, and so there is this lack of familiarity, right, with the kind of things that we engage in. And sometimes there is a lack of a tribe of being surrounded by women that come from similar backgrounds or face similar challenges such as us. And there is so much to learn just by talking to each other and learn even professionally to be able to ideate and figure out next steps by talking to people who have either similar goals such as you or come to come with similar backgrounds. So step one would be find your tribe of Muslim women. We live in the age, in the digital social media age, and it's actually very easy to, to do that. It was slightly harder when I was in my early 20s, which is why we also created that by foundation so that Muslim women can come here and find their tribe. So that tribe is step one of being able to take action. And the second piece of advice, and I don't want to give too much, is also reflect on what it is that you want to achieve. So if you want a job, what does that mean? What kind of a job are you looking for? What kind of a company do you want to work for? Where do you want to be in three to five years of a time frame? If What are the challenges in the process of being able to do that? Do you need to bring your husband, your parent, somebody on board? Do you need to get connected to somebody in the company? So think through that in terms of what it is in terms of you feel an ambition or a drive. Articulate what that ambition or drive really is. And the reason that introspection is important is this introspection, this clarity of thought will come out when you communicate with people, whether you're trying to speak to your family about it, whether you're trying to speak to the interviewer about it, if you're trying to speak to your mentor about it, that clarity of thought is very important. So there are two things. Find a type of Muslim women. It is just so helpful to have that group of peer mentors. And then spend time introspecting in terms of what does your goal really mean and break it down into what do you need to take. And these two things kind of feed into each other. You can use your tribe to also bounce off these ideas and help you progress, move forward, move it forward. So those are my two advices. Find a tribe, introspect into what your desires and dreams and ambitions really mean in terms of a pointed action plan. That was a wonderful gem served by, uh, said by Sister Ruha. And I think that is so much important for all of us to follow following your tribe. In fact, that's what the Islam always encourages, keeping, there is so much insistence in our being on having good company of having a company of the people who will really influence you. And it's very, very important to choose the kind of right friends you have who motivate you, influence you and help you become better. And uh, meanwhile, uh, all of you uh, who are interested can leave all their uh, questions in the chat and we can, uh, you know, uh, uh, display those are questions and we can ask Sister Ruha about it. So uh, meanwhile, as you try to do that, I'll just give a minute here if anybody wants to.
Those were excellent questions, Adia. Thank you. Yeah, I, th I think we have we had an amazing time with you. And I think there's so much to gain from. And that's what you said, keeping the right tribe when you are interacting with the right people. And actually with this uh, productive Muslim, like we had this uh, group as well in which we were initially conducting interviews in season one. Though we are a small community, but it really helped us benefit so much. And for me as a person, when I interact with people like you and I have like interviewed sisters from everywhere, from India, from UK, from US, and you know, everybody coming from different communities, different races, they have such different and wonderful things to contribute out. So it's always uh, fun and it's always good to engage and interact and we mutually learn. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, yeah. I think you hit it so on the nail about how our religion also promotes sense of community. And I feel that especially with, I've interacted with Muslims from too many countries to even count. And there is such a sense of sisterhood and community that is palpable and very, very supportive and encouraging. Yeah, definitely. And that's instrumental every time. We are instructed five times to pray namaz in a masjid or coming together as a jama, which is its factor as indicator of the community because yeah. Islam wants to come in as a community to help each other. So that's what we are doing. I think uh, uh, Sister Ruha was so very, uh, you know, elaborate and, and so very think about her questions that people don't have any questions left. She's really answered it all. Okay. So with that, I end for today. And there are a few more things which I would like to just uh, tell you out. Because uh, every time I discuss with people like Ruhar or other guests, there's so much to gain. But there's one more thing I would like to tell you. Whether the Muslim woman is a scholar like Aisha Rizatala, whether she's a woman like Khadija, whether she's a, uh, you know, a warrior like Nuseba, whether she's a homemaker like Fatima Rizatala, a nurse like Rufeda, or whether she is a scholar, okay? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has never, uh, you know, give, discriminated on them on the base of what profession they take, okay? It is we, as human stereotypes, we are trying to just have comments on women who are working professionally. We have certain stereotypes that they won't be good mothers, or, you know, a Muslim women who are homemakers, we look down upon them as not being the ones contributing to the uh, community's development. Whatever role you play, whatever role you are doing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not discriminated or commented on that aspect, why are we as individuals so actively, you know, uh, commenting and criticizing each other? And I would love to leave you with this word that busy yourself in improving others uh, sorry busy yourself in improving yourself that you have no time to criticize others so uh, with that said i end for today and uh, ruhal do you like to say something or we'll just end it up i'd like to thank you for providing this platform and asking these excellent questions and i've also learned so much from you thank you and thank you for everyone for joining yeah so there's somebody who wants to say something. Yeah, Jazakallah Khair. Uh, seriously, I was I have so much to gain from Ruha today. And Jazakallah Khair, Ruha, for removing her time. And, you know, she's been so busy. I've been seeing her on Ledby. She's having seminars all over the place. 
she still could get some time off for us so that was really very wonderful and jazakallah khair uh, for all that uh, ruha with that i end the session for today uh, subhanallahi walhamdulillahi la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayhi assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh